Welcome, everyone. Hope all is well and healthy. It's COVID-19 period, and I hope everyone's safe and healthy. Today, I'm here with Daryl Johnson. Daryl, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm, I'm doing very well, Jared, and um, I'm, I'm happy to be here in this COVID-19 environment and, and getting to, to uh, communicate with you. So before we already started, um, I would we'd like to get to know who you are, what your background is, and what do you do? Okay. So my name is Daryl Johnson. I, I am a Los Angelino, born and raised. Um, grew up in South Central Los Angeles. Uh, basically, my education is in civil engineering. I have a, um, a, a degree in civil engineering, and I've kind of parlayed that into the environmental world. Uh, my background, I started off with the government, you know, Department of Justice, and then South Coast Department of Transportation, excuse me. And then um, South Coast Air Quality Management District, where I started off as an uh, air quality inspector. I worked for many years as an air quality inspector. I went from that to, you know, planning and rural development, and then ultimately to becoming an air quality engineer in the chemical mechanical division. Worked for uh, South Coast Air Quality Management District for approximately 13 years. And then I sold myself to the dark side, as they say. I went to private industry uh, to help private industry stay in compliance with the government regulations that I had enforced as part of the uh, you know, quasi-government agency, South Coast Air Quality Management District. So I left the AQMD and went to Sempra Energy. Which is uh, a corporation that uh, basically has a number of companies, but uh, two of the companies that I've worked for, I've actually worked for three companies within Sempra. Started off with Sempra, then I worked for San Diego Gas and Electric, which is a gas and electric utility. And I currently work for SoCal Gas, which is a gas utility. I manage the environmental services organization for uh, SoCal Gas. Um, uh, that organization at one time, I was actually the acting director of that organization for a period of time. And there's multiple groups within that organization. Um, I'm a father. I have, uh, three kids, two boys and a girl. Um, and, uh, that's kind of the background. Great. That's a lot. That's, that's a mouthful. <laughs> um, I know you also played basketball in your younger days. I was wondering if you could also give us a little, um, Back that. Well, so, you know, I give you, uh, I, I started playing sports at, as a, a young kid. Um, my dad was a baseball, football guy. So my first sports were like baseball and football. And around 13 years old, I was growing like a weed and I thought basketball was something I, I had better try. So I actually started kind of late playing formal basketball, but, um, you know, I got a, a fortunate opportunity to get academic scholarship to boarding school. I left home at 15 to go to Colorado. Um, started, um, you know, basically uh, those years uh, in Colorado. Excuse me for one second. My dad. Um, <clears throat> those years in Colorado and, you know, it was very much, my, my, my basketball career was very much focused on, you know, trying to make sure that I could get a, a scholarship to college, uh, either academic or athletic, so that my parents didn't have to pay for my education. And so I was very fortunate. I got a, a full four-year ride um, basketball scholarship to a, a Benedictine Catholic school, St. Martin University in Olympia, Washington. And I, I took advantage of that opportunity. It was a great experience of play with a great group of guys. I mean, we actually still hold the, the school record for the best record you know, in, oh, wow. in school history. We actually got indo indoctrinated as a team into the school's Hall of Fame. So it was really a good experience. Great bunch of guys um, had an opportunity after leaving there. Didn't get drafted into the NBA, but had an opportunity to play in Australia. But unfortunately, I was... Uh, civil engineering graduate, I had to make kind of a choice in life, like whether I was going to finish my education or leave school because I had another, you know, semester or so to go before, you know, I could get my degree. And it was a kind of a hard choice to make. I thought about it many times after the fact. <laughs> but um, 
it did allow me to have the career that I have today based on the, the choices that I made. Great. That's yeah. awesome. I mean, for those who know, he's what, yeah, six seven. So I mean, that's six seven. That's like normal basketball height. So it's. I wish I had that height when I was playing basketball. <laughs> Actually, I'd be a guard now. Back then, you had to be a four or a center. But you know, yeah, point guard now. <laughs> point guard today, which would be great. Yeah. First off, uh, what's your definition of leadership? So my definition of leadership is the ability the opportunity, and the desire to bring your knowledge and experience to a team or a situation where you're going to not only, you know, um, basically attempt to provide that knowledge and experience to others in a manner that's going to move that organization or that team forward, but you're also going to, and it's important, that you're going to learn from the unique knowledge and experience of all the people that you come in contact with um, in that environment. So it's an opportunity to to take what you know and and share that with others and also provide that experience and knowledge to lead and, and uh, toward a common goal. Well, I really like how you said that leadership is about seeing, learning from everyone around you. Now I've seen like many organizations where like the leader doesn't really want to learn from others or kind of like shies away. And so I think that really like I guess sets the tone of leadership, you know, feeling trust and I guess from the team members perspective is, is that they do care and they 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 are have they're able to teach the leader as well as learn from them as well. Well, and you know, someone said something to me a long time ago, Garrett, that I've really taken to heart and it's really been kind of one of the foundational pieces that I use in life is that, you know, in order to be a good leader, a good leader is based on the the, the collective genius of all the people around him. Because if you think you know enough to do it all, then you're not as smart as you think you are. Wow. That was great. Who said that? Uh, it was one of my mentors back in the nineties. It's really hard to remember his name, but I remember what he said. I was, I was, you know, basically just having a conversation, and it was it was kind of what we're going through right now. Things to consider as you are a young leader, and that's just the one thing that really stuck with me. Well, I'm, that was stuck with me too, and then definitely has. Based off your career, what are some common mistakes you've seen in leadership? Um, I would say, you know, a couple things. One is when you don't have the ability to see what's going on, right? So you come in, a lot of people come into uh, a leadership position and they've already got an idea of what changes they need or want to make based on their previous experience. I think it's really important to understand how an organization has succeeded prior to you arriving. Mm-hmm. It's also very important to understand the different components in your team, right? Like who's working with, who are you working with, who are you working for, what are the strengths and weaknesses of your team, right? In order to provide and and, and um, develop an appropriate strategy, you have to understand the gifts and talents that you're working with, and you also have to understand the motivation of the the people that you work with and and that work for you so that when you develop strategies, plans, um, paths forward, you're considering how best to use those talents and how those people are motivated and how you can continue to keep them motivated. How how would you do that if, I mean, someone's coming into the the organization, but they're, I guess they don't have access to them because, you know, when you apply the job, you don't exactly get to meet everybody right up front, you know? Right. Well, I think you have to take time. I mean, it, it, everything's about work and investment. I mean, you have to take the time to do your homework. I, I always say when you come into a new organization, if the organization is already functioning well, you shouldn't break anything. You should you should study, you know, learn uh, how the dynamics of the organization actually work as it exists. And then you could better understand if there are any tweaks or modifications that will be necessary to improve the way things are working. Or if there's a need, 
then you have to come in and understand the need before you make changes. What's something that you learned about leadership later in your career that you wish you learned when you were in your 20s? Well, you need to have a growth plan. I wish as a young man, I, you know, I, I think, you know, I, you know, from my generation, you kind of come in like, you know, I just want someone to give me the opportunity to show that, you know, I'm smart and I have the, the talent and ability to do the job. And I want to take that and improve upon it and go from there. But what I wish I really understood as a 20 year old is that I needed to have my next level plan in my head. You know, like you come in, you don't want to be just an individual contributor forever, right? So, you you know, you have to kind of have a few steps or a plan A, B, and C of like where you may want to go and what you might want to do such that you can then, you know, take the steps forward to like, you know, if you need an additional degree or some additional uh, training, you can plan for it. I also think that what I didn't do or understand in the way I understand it today is the importance of having a real mentor, someone who is a level above you, maybe two levels above you, so that you can see it firsthand and ask the questions as you go along. And then surround yourself uh, with, you know, in environments where like-minded people are, are trying to, to grow and achieve, right? So if I, going back to answer your question specifically, I would have had a, a more long-term growth plan and, and it would have included those elements. Are you referring to growth plan as in like goals or is it more so yeah, like goals, like next steps, like, you know, not just, not just when I say growth plan, I'm not just talking about my next job. I'm talking about where I ultimately want to be and what I think it's going to take to be there. Do I want to be a CEO? Do I want to be a VP? And, and how much time do I think I have to make those kind of things happen? Even to the point where sometimes you need to leave a job because the opportunities, the, 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 the timing that you've given yourself is not going to work out. So. Those are not the kind of things that most 20-year-olds think about. Most, you know, a lot of 20-year-olds, not all, um, they're happy to be employed, you know, and, and, and making those first paychecks. But, um, you know, they say hindsight is twenty twenty. Knowing what I know now, um, I wouldn't have allowed any aspect of, like, fear and trepidation to, you know, keep me from aspiring to have those things that I had in my growth plan or my career goals. How would you get rid of that fear if you're back in your 20s? Well, I think, first of all, you, you have to do the work, right? There's no there's no quick, you know, uh, secret sauce, right? You have to do the work and get, you know, and understand what it is you want. So before you can take a step, you have to have strong legs. So I would say do the work, you know, make sure you're good at what you do and you understand what you do and let that determine whether you enjoy what you do and the path that you had originally considered in, in your goals is where you really want to go. Because I, I think it's really difficult as a young person to come into the work field and know exactly, you know, kind of where you want to be 20 years from now, right? Some of that is um, very organic. But you can look at the next level and maybe the next level after that and plan to aspire to to reach those goals. That's great. Um, and then you already touched on mentors. How have you approached your mentors? Or how did you find them and get them? Well, so some of it is very organic. You know, you find, and, and, and I have to say, like, I'm, you know, I'm not a um, master networker. Right. I'm a people person and they're, they're very different. So if I connect or have good synergy with an individual who obviously I find interesting based on their intellect, their abilities, their, their moral standard, their work ethic, then those are, those are the people that I'm going to seek out to be my mentors. And there's a 
is very organic. Although I've also been in mentorship programs where I've been given mentors, uh, provided mentors, I should say. And, and, you know, both can work. There's there's no one formula. Some, you know, you may find an organic mentor, someone that you respect and you have a relationship with, or you may be in a mentoring program, or you may put yourself in an organization where there are mentor-like individuals within that organization. So, um, outside of maybe your day-to-day work. Gotcha. That makes sense. Earlier you touched on that you said that you're a connector and that you weren't good and networker. And you said they were completely different. Can you explain well, that process with that? Yes. So, I like you or I don't kind of, you know, it's like, I'm, I, I generally, I generally don't, like, I'm, I don't go to a networking function uh, with a bunch of cards to necessarily um, meet that person who is going to give me my next job or give me my next opportunity. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm just speaking to my, my own modus operandi. I tend to gravitate toward people I find interesting. And because I'm legitimately interested in what they're saying and who they are, I tend to, to bond and create relationships with, with those people. And, and that's really borne tremendous fruit for me over, you know, my uh, work experience and my life experience, as opposed to mm-hmm. the contrary being that I just went there to get something from somebody because yeah. I needed it or wanted it, right? Um, mm-hmm. There were more real, organic kind of communications and relationships Gotcha. I totally understand what you're saying because, like, when I was back in New York, I always told us to go to network events, you know. Me and every single person in the room, get as many business cards as you can, get as many as you can. And I would go and be like, man, no one likes you. Why don't you go talk to me? Well, and I mean, you think about it, a lot of people, and there's nothing wrong with that, but a lot of people are there to get something, right? And that and we're all there to get something. I just think there are different methods. I think. When you talk about the glue that makes something possible or the bridge that allows you to leave that meeting and pick up the phone and say, it was really nice meeting you. Hey, can, can I talk to you sometimes? Mm-hmm. If we had a, if we had a very good connection and a real conversation about things that interested us both sincerely, mm-hmm. I'd have a better chance of picking up the phone and saying, hey, Garrett, I really enjoyed conversing with you about, you know, electromagnetic flux, right? Mm-hmm. Can we continue that conversation or can maybe I take you out for a beer? I'd like to pick your brain. You know that I'm legitimate and I'm, I'm not necessarily trying to, you know, steal anything from you. I'm legitimately interested in asking you for your knowledge. And I think that's kind of, you know, more what I meant by um, more organic as opposed to just plain networking for networking's sake. Yeah, I guess you're saying things I know. I switched that mindset to those quality is better than quantity. And I'd rather meet one person and sit with them someone and sit with them for the whole entire time and get to really know them. And then once we leave, it's like your buddy buddy. So it's kind of like it makes everything a lot smoother. The relationship just feels it's less it's less stressful on your mind and your moral life. It really helps you show who you really are, you know. And you have more commonalities. If 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 I am there specifically because you have something I want, that's something being, you know, uh, a contract or a job or something like that. It, I'm, I become uh, more superficial to you because our, our our lines of connection are minimized, right? But if we have multiple lines of connection and enjoy each other's company and conversation and are mutually interested in sharing information, we would establish a relationship that could last a lifetime, right? As opposed to, you know, me trying to get something for from you and then you never wanting to see me again, right? Mm-hmm. Different degree. Yeah. I know you've been from different various companies. Um, in your experience, in regards to organizational systems, what are some problems that leaders will face? Well, I think, you know, again, it comes into 
kind of understanding the dynamic of the organization. Like, for example, what is the need of the organization? Can you have the appropriate audience? Are you positioned in a, a job, a title where you're actually communicating appropriately with the right people? Right. You have to have some influence to make change. Right. And if you are, um, you know, these, these uh, boundaries can be uh, overcome, but if you're in a position where you um, don't have the ability to communicate with those people that can make a change, then it can be quite frustrating, especially as a leader. And so I think when you enter into an organization, you have to take the time to understand the interactions of the organization. Like, for example, you may be, uh, I'm an environmental person and I work for an engineering company, basically, right? Even though I'm an engineer, I specialize in environmental. So I use that as an example to say, that's not what the company's bottom line is. So for me, I simply put, I need to understand that the, my company's bottom line is to get gas through the pipeline to the customer. And my job is to keep them in compliance with environmental regulations so that they can do the ultimate purpose of the company, right? So when you look at prioritization, your voice in some regards might not be as loud because the main driver and impetus for that organization is something outside of your your swim lane in, in a way, right? So you, you might play a smaller piece. So understanding the, the dynamics, the players, and ensuring that you have an appropriate voice and audience. And if you don't, you know, strategically, you know, work your way toward that. Well, those are great stuff right there. Um, so I know, as you know, we're in COVID-19 period. I um, kind of want to pick your brain on, I guess, leadership in this kind of time period. What's one thing you've learned about leadership during this whole crazy fanatic thing that i need to first like and i have a team right so my first consideration is to to know and understand the circumstance of my team are they safe are they healthy do they have the resources they need to work mm -hmm. if we need to supply them resources that's first and foremost and in in, in Part and parcel of that is do we have a means by which to have good and regular communication? Because now in an emergency situation, circumstances aren't what they uh, normally are. In this particular COVID-19 environment, everybody is sequestered, you know, quarantined. So communication is quintessential, right? So do we have, do we have the, the technology, the infrastructure, the, to have, you know, regular communication. And then once we have established that, you know, everybody is, you know, safe and healthy and has the means by which to work, and then we have the tools to work, now we get to, together and say, okay, what's the plan? What's the immediate first steps? Like, we're not going to try to say, you know, what's going to happen in June, in March, because we don't know. But let's take the next, you know, piece of the pie. What, what are our immediate steps for the next three weeks, right? How are we going to communicate? What kind of what kind of provisions are we going to put in place? Like we have to have guidance. Like this is, you know, uh safety equipment or travel or, you know, social distancing. So the next thing is to strategize a communication plan, uh, a path forward, if you will, and then ensure that not only have you communicated the next steps uh, in a way that you clearly understand it, but look for the feedback from your organization, from your team, to make sure you have complete understanding, and not only complete understanding, but buy-in. And ask if there's any questions always to ensure that if there's something as a leader that you haven't factored into the equation, and you allow, again, the collective genius of your organization to bring forward that information. You take that information and you roll it into your strategic plan. And uh, you kind of touch on what to do next. And as times get uncertain, how can we further develop clarity during clarity during this whole mess? So 
you know, obviously, um, the clarity piece comes back to connection and communication, but it all it also comes back to understanding, you know, the deltas and dynamics that may take place with you know time, right? So if we clearly delineate our path forward from a period, whatever that period is, two weeks, three weeks, the, the constant communication and check in will help to evolve changes that we need to make because there's obviously going to be changes things we haven't considered new conditions that pop up because remember in the COVID-19 environment we're focused on our business but we also have to focus on all the businesses that our business touch like our connection to government agencies our connections to our clients our connections to health organizations right so we have to broaden our umbrella, our communication umbrella, such that we're now considering how, you know, what governor, you know, the governor says and what the Department of Health says and how that's going to impact our employees. And we need to communicate that and also develop uh, communication so that, you know, we're not just taking what is said here, but we're making it our own so it's clearly understood. So that frequency of communication and uh, the clarity and how it's developing over time is the clarity that I think brings a certain level of comfort. And as a leader, it also gives the folks that you're working with something to bite on. You know, if you're working from home and feeling a little disconnected and I'm, I'm having Skype meetings with you once a week to ensure that you have everything you need and that you're connected to all your other teammates that are, you know, likewise in quarantine, we're able to still, you know, uh, have constructive, beneficial dialogue that's going to help us move forward. So that's one of the things that, that are, are methods that I would employ. That's crazy how, how important communication is. I mean, it's how communication has evolved too. I mean, now we have Zoom, we have our phones. Imagine like this happened like 20 years ago. It would have been like, who knows what happened. So, I mean, it's it's crazy where we've come on this whole time and where things have gotten. Oh, no. I mean, technology, technology is a quintessential, super important today. And I think, you know, technology is one of those things that, you know, as, as, as a leader and, and part of a, a, an organization or a business or a company, you're always trying to make the job easier, better, more efficient. Um, you know, tools and technologies can help in some regards and hinder in others, but in COVID-19, it's been tremendous. I mean, you know, telephone would have been it back in the day. Um, <laughs> Now we're able to share documents on the screen and look at them simultaneously so we can leverage that technology to stay productive. How can someone transition from a good leader to a great leader? First of all, I think every leader is in development. And if I can use a, a religious analogy for a moment, it's like being a Christian, right? It's you start off as a baby Christian, right? And you're growing all the time. But there's no end to your Christian development. You're always trying to be better, right? I think leadership is the same way. I think that you have to understand that there is no end goal. There's always areas for improvement. So one is you have to stay on your horse, like so you have to stay engaged, learning new things, considering new things, right? Because you know, the old adage you can't teach an old dog new tricks should not be what defines you as a leader. You have to be open to again the collective genius of your, your organization. And key thing for me, or what I would say, you have to listen, and also keep your vision on the horizon ahead, right? So what's coming? Like, the important thing about being a leader is not just running your organization efficiently. It's also looking forward, right, to see what's coming. What's around the corner that you can start implementing changes today to prevent you from falling off the cliff tomorrow, right? I'm sorry. 
that's Jasmine. Um, so, you know, like, especially we just talked about technology, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, you look at technology, if you're not looking ahead with technology as a leader, you're putting your company in a position where it may be inadequate a year or two from now because you don't know what's coming. So I would say one of the, you know, uh, some of the things that are, are very important is to be present and, and, and bring the value that being present, running your operation as it exists today and keeping that efficient and effective, but also, you know, keep part of your vision on the horizon to ensure that you're trying to anticipate, you know, and mitigate potential concerns, issues, and changes that could occur in the future. That's great. Uh, you said what What really would prevent someone from being forward-looking? I mean, is it because they're too, I guess, present? Or? So myopic, right? They're too focused. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, so, and this is something I learned um, is, you know, before when I was a principal contributor, I was, you know, I considered myself to be really good and knowledgeable at what I did. So when I went into management and, you know, my first management job, I had 15 people, right? And I had, this was a new position. They had never been a manager in this position. These people came from different organizations, right? So I was their, their first manager in this new organization. Well, first of all, I knew they knew more about what they did than I did, right? Mm-hmm. I did not try to act like I knew more than I knew, but I also had a position where I knew I needed to lead them. So I asked myself as a leader, do I need to know the infinitesimal detail of everything they do, or can I trust and depend and verify, we always say, you know, depend, but verify, uh, their abilities, because I don't believe in micromanaging my organization. You're professional. I, I expect for you to conduct yourself as a professional and bring your professional expertise and knowledge. And that's even to the point of constructive dissent, right? Because I believe that if you agree with everything that I say, and I agree with everything that you say, we're not really working super hard to get at the things that we're missing, right? So um, as a new leader, I think you need to listen to, you know, what your organization has to say. And what I mean by that is you need to know why your organization or your the team or the individual was successful, successful before you got there, right? How were they able to be successful? If you understand how each individual was able to be successful, how collectively the organization has maintained success and where that success needs to go in future, then from a strategic person or planning uh, standpoint, you don't need to be the subject matter expert on everything that's going on, but you're looking at these components as a leader to drive that organization forward. That's great. I know people, I guess there's like a fine line between management and leadership. You know, many people think that you're a manager, you're a leader, but I'm likely you're a leader. If, you're, if, you, if you lead, you're a manager, not necessarily the other way. Can you explain well, the difference between a manager and a leader? Well, okay. So, so I think that everyone can be a leader mm-hmm. and they don't necessarily need to manage an organization. And a manager can be the leader over an organization and the manager simultaneously. They should be, but they don't have to be a good leader necessarily. And and I think this, so a manager doesn't need to do the job of the individual. He needs to manage the jobs of the individual, right? But a leader needs to think about how every element of each of those individuals and what they bring to the table ultimately impacts an organization and how to move that forward, whether it be more profit or more efficiency or just more viability in the long run so that the, the company stays, you know, uh, uh, resilient, if you will. But a leader needs to understand 
a leader needs to understand how to bake the cake, right? Mm-hmm. Strategically bake the cake. I have all these ingredients, right? Mm-hmm. Not all of these ingredients are equal, right? Some people are really good at this. Some people are really good at that. Some people are not good at a, a few things or not good at all. Do I need to get rid of those people? Right. That's the hard part of being a leader. Right. I might, I might come into an organization and say, you know what? We have three more employees than we need to be effective. That's not something from a human standpoint. You know, no one wants to bring, you know, hardship, termination, whatever to another individual. That's, that's hard to do. But as a leader, those are the kind of considerations you have to have because just that's why I said you need to examine why an organization has been successful, you also need to examine why it hasn't been successful, right? So as you, as a leader, as you're looking at these things, you may need to make some really hard decisions that no one in the organization otherwise would want to make. You may have to terminate a third of the organization and have the two-thirds work more efficiently moving into the future. Saying that to say that, you know, you are trying as a leader to understand how to put all the pieces, people, pieces, technology, strategies together to have a common goal, whether that be success, profit, resiliency. I think so. That's the difference between just managing, right? You may manage accordingly, but real leadership may require above and beyond. That's great. I like how you said it's definitely above and beyond. Because, yeah. I mean, leaders has to do more to get to get somewhere. You can't just get somewhere without just doing the bare minimum. Exactly. You can manage really successfully, but it may not improve your situation. What's one mistake that you made in your career that taught you a valuable leadership lesson? Uh, well, I, I kind of talked to you about earlier a little bit about don't, you know, we get into the workforce and we want to be good at what we do. Sometimes we get comfortable, right? And I can say that, remember I, I said earlier, like, you know, I, when I was a principal contributor, I ran the entire, you know, climate change greenhouse gas program for two utilities. And I started that program. I was the first person to bring climate change into San Diego Gas and Electric and Southern California Gas. And I built that program. So I had ownership of it. And I was running it well, but I, you know, I let, I got comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. And I realized that if I did not, you know, go to the next level, get out there, you know, forget my comfort zone, but get out of my comfort zone is what I'm trying to say and take the, the, the next step, fearful or not, into the unknown, that I would be that person much longer than I wanted to be. Right. So what I had to do was, and if I, I tell my story, um, so I was a principal environmental specialist and I had been a principal environmental specialist running these programs very successfully. And my boss did not really want me to leave because I was doing a really good job at what I was doing. Right. Mm-hmm. But when it came time, I realized that I would have to take a leap or else I'd be doing that, you know, for another 10 years. I, I uh, applied for a job um, a promotion and I didn't even get an interview, right? So, you know, it was a little disheartening. But what that taught me was that you never get to hit the ball unless you swing the bat. So I said to myself, I'm not even going to try for a position at that level. I'm going to go the next level when the opportunity presents itself. I'm just going to swing for the fence. And I got the next job. I skipped the level. I, you know, I, I was never a supervisor. I went from being a principal contributor to a manager. Mm-hmm. And what, what, that, what that taught me and what I'm really trying to say to you concisely is, is that you can't get comfortable too comfortable. You always had to, you know, that's that growth plan that I was talking about earlier. You you can't put that in the shelf. You have to keep that, you know, it's like your resume. You got to keep it sharp. You got to keep it present. And, and um, I had gotten a little too comfortable. 
because mm-hmm. I thought I was doing a good job and I was I was getting rewarded, right? So this mm-hmm. is the, the catch. Like you can get financial reward, but financial reward may not ultimately lead to the responsibility and upper level position that you want. So what I learned in that instance was I had gotten complacent and never get too comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. Always reevaluate where you are and ask yourself what you want. And don't be afraid. That's a, a big thing. I think people people get comfortable and they, they let fear and trepidation prevent them from taking the next step. Don't be afraid to swing the bat. What did you do growth-wise to really get you from where you started to that manager job? Because that's I'm pretty sure that sounds like a big gap, like you kind of mentioned. Oh yeah, it was it, it, <laughs> it was um, a little bit uh, intimidating, right? Mm-hmm. However, you know, you for me, what I did was what I would suggest any person is, you know, you kind of have to put yourself and say, what do I need to know? Right. So what do I need to do to understand what I need to know? I need to talk to both the people that are doing what I do. Right. Other managers. I need to talk to my VP uh, to make sure I understand what their desires are. And then that's when I got my first VP mentor. So, I, you know, I, I, I started a communication and relationship with a VP outside of my organization to understand the big picture. Because what I learned from that, Garrett, was that as a principal contributor, you could be really good at what you do, right? But when you become a leader and a manager, you're a leader as a principal contributor, but the leadership needs to expand. And so now let's not get caught in the weeds is what I learned. I need to have the big picture strategy perspective. What's in the company's best interests, right? What does my CEO want for our organization? How does our organization fit into the company as a whole? So you take you need to take a couple steps back and really invest yourself in understanding the business of the company because you are in an organization, you are in a group, and you are performing a duty for that organization and group. When you went to two levels above, your leadership is more concerned or not. They're concerned about every level, but it's, it's also concerned about the, the strategic livelihood of the entire corporation, which could be multiple companies. So what I had to do was I had to really get my financial acumen together, like understand how the company made money and how my group impacted money. I need to, to understand how to be a leader of others which, you know, I took some training classes, I read some books, I, you know, I obtained a mentor and I had regular one-on-ones with multiple levels until I kind of got a feel. And then there's, there's nothing like being in the trenches. Um, I did not try to act as though I was when I wasn't. Right. And so I was very honest and forthright with my team. I'm like, you know, I'm not here to fix anything. I'm here to understand where we are. I don't want to break anything that's not broken, but I, I'm a quick learner. I plan on engaging you in many different ways, but these first couple of weeks, I just want to get up to speed so I clearly understand who we are, what we do, and, and, and what's entailed in what we do. So you have to take time to understand where you are before you start moving forward. Um, and then, but you have to act quickly. You have to be assertive and you have to study outside of your job. Like there's what you know and, and what you can learn on the job and then what you can pick up outside your job, either through, you know, training, literature and communication with others. That's great. That's a lot of info over there. Yeah. I'm definitely going to look back in that. And internalize it. Um, I know you, you talked about basketball a little bit earlier. Uh, how has what can you learn from sports leadership and apply that to to life leadership and organization? My dad's not a quitter. <laughs> um, so you know, this I'm glad you asked me this question because you know I spent a long part of my life in sports. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, individuals don't win championships. Teams do, right? Mm-hmm. 
And so I think that's, you know, that's really important to understand. Like, if you can make your team as strong as it possibly can be, mm-hmm. and that means, you know, giving them the motivation they need, giving them the tools they need, developing their strengths, right? Understanding their strengths and weaknesses so you know where to to put the ball at the right time, right, for success. I think that all comes from basketball. It's communication, it's motivation, it's hard work, it's the training and development, all of that. But it starts with a common goal. If you can identify a common goal for your organization, for your company, for your team, for yourself, mm-hmm. right? And then if you can acquire buy-in to that common goal, then this that's when the, the strategic plan comes in. If you can, mm-hmm. you can establish a common goal, get buy-in for the common goal, then it's all about developing your players, right? Mm-hmm. You know, work, working on the things that are going to improve your players' ability to deliver on those goals and then provide opportunities for your players, your team, your organization to enjoy one another. You know, because morale is as important as all the other elements, right? Mm-hmm. If we work together and we have fun working together, we'll probably be more successful than if we don't. If we know each other, if we have connection, like if I I know you're, you're a parent and you love to ski on the weekends, mm-hmm. when we have a conversation at work, it's going to be more real than if, if we're just talking about nuclear physics, right? Mm. I think how you mentioned morale and it comes down to relationships. I think relationships are so important, you know, where humans are. Humans need human connection, and once yes. you take away humans from human connection, we're just a bunch of robots. So I think that's so important for people to really understand that, like, you know, you got to do your objectives, you got to have your vision, but don't forget your connection. But then they and, yeah, you have to have stuff that also makes, look, we all come to work and spend more time at work than we do with our families, right? Yeah. You also have to make something about work enjoyable, like in morale, you have to find ways to motivate folks, keep them engaged, and even have some fun on occasion. That's great. What are some leadership lessons you learned from basketball? Maybe from coaches or... Oh, well, so this is the thing. First of all, like the one thing about team, team starts with an individual, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I could want to be the best contributor on the floor, right? Mm-hmm. But I can't be the best contributor on the floor unless I'm really evaluating. When I talked about my you know, career plan or future plan, it starts with understanding where I want to be, who I want to be within anything. So from sports, if I want to be the best shooter mm-hmm. on the team, I have to ask myself, what do I need to do to be a better shooter? Right. Then I had to actually do the work. It's all about the work, no matter what you're talking about, sports or, you know, work. It's all about putting in the work, understanding what the work is and then being about it. Right. Because it, it, you can't you can't cheat certain things. You have to actually put the work in. Some people are better at it. There's talent versus hard work. Right. Some people are smart, tremendously talented, and they might not have to work as hard, but you have to understand your strengths, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a big proponent of, you know, and I, I got this from sports. I'm a big proponent of understanding people's strengths and weaknesses, but using their strengths, right? Mm-hmm. I could spend a lifetime trying to improve your weaknesses to the point where they were, you know, on par with your strengths. Mm-hmm. Or I could, you know, continually have you work on your weaknesses so they could be as good as they possibly can, but truly understand how to capitalize on your strengths. If you are a shooter, uh, you know, I'm going to ask you to shoot, right? If you're if you're the leader, floor leader, and the point guard, I'm going to ask you to distribute the ball and make sure that you keep everybody else where they need to be on the floor. And if you're my big buck rebounder, I'm going to ask you to get under the rim. So mm-hmm. I, I take that 
sports analogy to an organization, not everybody is going to be as good with new technology, right? Mm -hmm. Not everybody is going to be as proficient with the written word. Not every, you know, not everybody's going to have the same talents. Understand the talents that your team has and use those talents to benefit the overall organization so that you can all work toward a common goal. And you have to do that in a way where people don't feel cheated, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I'm doing all the work. You know, you have to balance it in a way where somebody's not doing enough, you find a way to make them contribute. So not everybody contributes the same way, but everybody has to contribute and everybody has to work hard at their contribution. And understanding how to do that is the recipe in baking the cake. And being a leader is knowing how to bake a good cake. I like how you talked about strengths and weaknesses, but we capitalizing on your strengths. So now like a lot of people like tend to focus on the weaknesses. Oh, we got you gotta work on your weaknesses, blah, blah, blah. But many people don't realize like you work on your weaknesses, you're you're really hurting yourself. Because you're, you're, you're always going to be weak at it. So whatever you do, you're not going to be good at it. But if you really help us on your strength, like you said, you're going to get more return. You're going to feel better. You're going to go farther. So I think that's just so important to really... Well, I, I think it's you have to do both. And I'll tell you why. I mean, you can't just throw your weaknesses away because you may yeah. need them, right? Yeah. I'll give you a sports analogy. So when I was in high school, I was really right-handed, right? I'm right-handed, right? But my coach forced me to go left. Mm -hmm. I was always going to be a better right-hand shooter. He knew that. I knew that. But he wanted me to have some left-handed moves, right? That's the balance. Mm -hmm. You don't focus all your attention on your weaknesses, but you work on your weaknesses such that they're proficient enough that you can use them when you need to. And that is kind of the balance that you need to have when you're talking about improving yourself. Don't ignore it. Understand its importance. And if it's really important, you might be in the wrong profession, right? Like if you can't run fast and you work really hard at running fast, but you're a track star, you're never going to be a track star because <laughs> you're slow. <laughs> you might need to change sports. So at some point, you know, there, there comes that thing like you don't have the skills, abilities, and talents to be good at this job. You need to be have awareness of that as, as well, too, because you may need to change your focus, and your focus may be an entirely different direction, but you have to be honest about your the hard work you put in and the results that you receive, right? Mm, that's great. That's great. Uh, last few questions I always ask my guests. First question is, let's say you have a 10 or 5 to 10-year-old niece or nephew, and they come up to you and ask you, Uncle Daryl, what do I need to do to become the best leader that I can be? What do you say? I say, find something that you're really interested in, even passionate about. And, and and work hard at that for yourself and then learn how to give that back to others, right? And so you're talking about being a leader. First, in order, you know, in order to be a leader, you have to find something that you really want to share, you really have to give, right? Because, you, you know, if you're empty, if you're an empty vessel, you know, all you are is hot air in a sense, right? But when there's something that you, you, you are talented and gifted and can share with others such that you provide more knowledge and experience and, 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 and information to them, that's the place to start, right? Like here again, we're starting with what we're good at and we're sharing that with others so that they can be good at it. That's the first leadership thing that anybody can do. And it doesn't start when you work. You're 10 years old. When you go to, when you go to your Girl Scout, you know, um, to sell cookies, if you're really good at talking to people, as a leader, you, you work on your delivery. And then you teach your, your other Girl Scouts how you do it. 
right? So that they can be good at it. That's the first elements of leadership. So understand how to hone the gifts, the natural gifts that you have, and then also learn how to share those gifts freely with others so that you can make them better, right? So now you don't have to work as hard selling those cookies. You got three or four other Girl Scouts that are selling cookies as good or better than you. And so now the Girl Scout troop is the number one cookie sales troop you know, in the city. So I, you know, I use that as an analogy. Find something you're passionate about. Find something that you, you're interested in. Work hard at it. And then try to, you know, if you love it in the way that I think you will, then you want to share it with others. Be a leader in how you share and develop others with that knowledge. Great. I really love how you mentioned passion. I think passion is so contagious. You know, when people see that you're passionate about something and that you know it can impact the lives of others positively, I think that's what makes leaders so great because they they believe in it and they know you have the right intentions and they they know it's going to benefit them. So it makes everything a lot more synchronized. And, and you believe and you you can take it in because you know they've lived it, they've worked it. And it's brought them this success. And all they're trying to do is give you some insight into their process. And if you want that, it's yours. And if you don't, you don't. But they're there to share it with you or provide it for you. That's great. Next question is, if there's one thing you can take away from leadership, what would it be? You can only be you. Your strengths to improve your condition and your environment or your circumstance of, of, of who you are. You know, you have to understand who you are as a person, who, what your mores are, what you will do, what you won't do, what you what what you really want to work hard at. Mm-hmm. You know, so. You can only be, you don't try as a leader, <clears throat> don't try, you know, we talk about sharing knowledge, we talk about sharing information, learning from others, that's all important. Mm-hmm. But at some point, you have to realize who you are and take the knowledge that you have and everything you've learned from all these other areas and make it your own. Mm-hmm. Be true to yourself so that you can repeat that continually from your heart from your mind, from your spirit, right? You're not emulating something that is impossible to emulate because you can't necessarily be that individual. You can learn from that individual and take from, you know, these different areas what you will. But it's super important to understand who you are and not to necessarily try to be someone else in your leadership have your leadership come from within and have it represent who you are as an individual. And I think it's the only way that over time that you can continually, you know, fill your cup up because you're being naturally who you are. Well, that's great. That's a really great takeaway. I mean, it's, yeah, being authentic in who you are is so important. You know, people, no matter what you want to do in life, people want to know who you are, what you do. And, right. They people invest in the person, not so much of the, I guess, business or whatever that is. So they really want to invest in someone that they really believe in and knows that they can benefit them. And 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 if you know, we talked about a common goal, like you know, talking about being authentic. I'm sorry. Um, talking about being who you are and being authentic. So. People feel energy and they can feel when you're truly interested in them, mm-hmm. their growth and development, mm-hmm. about being successful, mm-hmm. and about showing up every day. They'll feel that. It'll resonate. If it's legitimately who you are and how you feel and you're passionate about it, that energy will resonate in a way that people you know, are attracted to it, right? And you can't. That's not something you can fake. And if, if you do, ultimately, you know, you'll get caught. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think if you're, if you're not really someone that you, if you're someone that you're not, then people will snip it out. I mean, it's people, yeah. people are like consistently inconsistent. So people like eventually find out. 
Yeah. This yeah. last question is, what's your favorite leadership book? All right. So obviously we were talking about sports. We were talking about kind of sharing and teamwork. So the ideal team player by Patrick Lindsay. What's what's it what's it about? So it it, it tells you how to how to uh, authentically inspire. It tells you how to evaluate talent. So it's about inspiration. It's about being able to talent and it's about developing strengths in your in your team. Some a lot of similar things that we talked about today, I mean, <clears throat> to me is very much related to sports, very much related to uh, corporate America. And the book just kind of reinforces that. So I, I think it's a good read. If you're really looking at I mean if you're an individual contributor, maybe not, right? Because you can be a leader as an individual contributor. But if you're part of a team, an organization that you're trying to understand, motivate, and guide and lead, then it's a great it's a great book to start with. Yeah, I'll definitely take a look at that book. Um, yeah. I got a little time on my hands because uh, it's going to but you know John Wooden has a couple good books on leadership too that related to the basketball concept. Right? He definitely does. Yeah. Um, I've definitely certainly learned a lot during this. Uh, thank you, Derek, for so much for your time. Um, I hope everyone is stays healthy and well, and I hope you guys definitely enjoy it. And we'll see you guys next time. Thank you, Jared. You take care.